Hear now the word of the Lord to you, his people. Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus answered them, The kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. Nor will they say, look, here it is. Or there, for behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. And he said to his disciples, the days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man and you will not see it. And they will say to you, look there or look here. Do not go out or follow them. For as lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in his day. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So it will be on that day when the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, let the one who was on the housetop with his goods in the house not come down to take them. And likewise, let the one who was in the field not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will keep it. I tell you in that night, there will be two in one bed. One will be taken and the other left. There will be two women grinding together. One will be taken and the other left. And he said to them, they said to him, where Lord? And he said to them, where the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. Amen. Please be seated. Let's pray. Dear Lord, open this text to us. Show us through your Holy Spirit, not only what we should understand from this text, but also how we should live. How we should live as we wait for you to return, as we wait for your son, Jesus Christ, to return. We pray this all in Christ's name. Amen. What is it that's so exciting about a good book series? If you're like me, you know, well, I used to do this, not so much anymore, but whenever I'd get my hands on a nice juicy book series, I'd sit down and just read and read and read, find a nice nook in the corner of my house. Is anyone like that here? Love to read, love, to, love a good series? Well, there's many answers we could give to why a good series is so compelling. Maybe compelling characters. You know, characters that just come to life before our eyes as we read. Gripping details, you know, that, that, that draw us in. But perhaps the most important of all, best ingredient for a compelling story is an overarching narrative, a storyline that just brings you in and takes you along every step of the journey from beginning to end. You just can't put it down. The Bible is like that, you know. 
The Bible tells us a story that is not fiction, like some of the books we, we pick up and tear through, but, but the Bible tells us a story that is real life and that brings us into the story. And it's got those compelling details. It's got those characters that come to life. But the Bible also has an overarching narrative from beginning to end. Just keeps you engaged as you read through. And what is that overarching narrative? It is the story of God's kingdom. We've been hearing a lot about the kingdom of God. It's it's one of the main themes in the book of Luke. In fact, it's one of the main themes in all of the Bible. The kingdom of God is the great is the grand story of how God has come to claim a people in his place under his rule. Now we see that, don't we? Even from the very beginning, that when God creates man and puts him in a garden, he's created this people that are to submit to him and be under his his kind and his good rule. God is the king who reigns over them. But then we see a people who rebel against God and in their sin and their disobedience, they run from God and they become rebels at war with their creator. And so the rest of the Bible is God moving towards that people, claiming them again for his own, bringing them back under his righteous rule. That's the story of the Bible. That's the story that you and I are now part of. And I want to look this morning at our text and see three key features of that kingdom. What is the kingdom of God like? What should we learn from it? Well, we need to learn from this text first that the kingdom has come. Second, we need to learn that the kingdom is coming. And third, we need to hear, our our ears need to hear that the kingdom is urgent. The kingdom has come. The kingdom is coming. The kingdom is urgent. Well, right away we see that the kingdom has come and we, we, we see this unfold through this question that the Pharisees, the religious leaders of Jesus' day, ask to Jesus. They say, all right, tell us, Jesus, when is the kingdom of God finally going to come? It seems like a reasonable question, right? But we know something about the Pharisees. They don't ask many reasonable questions in the book of Luke. They're always way off base. And I think they're also way off way off base with this question. Because it shows us something of what they were looking for. What did the Pharisees just see Jesus do? Just verses earlier. They saw Jesus heal 10 lepers with just a word. He healed 10 people that were this picture of living death. Their skin covered in scales. Their skin covered with scaly disease. And then finally, as new and as fresh as baby's skin. And they see that and they say, hey, so when are you going to bring the kingdom, the good stuff? See, the Pharisees are looking for a spectacle. The Pharisees are looking for a strong political leader like, like Judas Maccabee to come along with a hammer in his hand and to rally the people against the Romans, the great enemies of, enemy of the Jewish people in that day. And notice what Jesus says as he addresses this problem. He says, Pharisees, people, 
the kingdom of God is not coming in those kinds of observable signs. You're not going to see it in social movements, in geopolitical power. You're not going to see it in the way that you're expecting. No. And why is that? It's because the kingdom of God is right here. The kingdom of God is already present in the power of Christ. What's he doing? He's casting out demons. He's healing the sick. The blind see again. And in Luke 4, he he talks about those things and he says, this passage from Isaiah speaking about these great deeds that the, uh, in which the kingdom would come, they are fulfilled in your hearing. And so the kingdom of God is coming in the power of Christ. But the kingdom of God is also already present in the people in Christ's day. What, what's happening in Christ's day? People who were rebels of God's kingdom are becoming outposts for that kingdom. They've been changed. Their hearts have been freed. And ultimately, the kingdom is present in the person of Christ, the king himself. Notice what Jesus says in verse 21. The kingdom of God is in your midst. Maybe some of your Bibles say, uh, the translation says, within you. The kingdom of God is within you. But I really think the very best way to understand what's happening here in the context, the best translation is the kingdom of God is in your midst. Because Jesus is saying, you want to see kingdom power? Then look at what's right in front of you. The kingdom of God is right under your noses. The kingdom is right here because I am the king and I am standing so close that you could reach out and touch me. And you just don't have a clue because you're stuck looking for the kind of kingdom that you have in your mind. Have you ever missed something that was right in front of your face? Happens to me a lot. You know, I've got my, my wallet in my hand and I'm running, running around the house, you know, asking my wife, where's my wallet? Help me find it. Or, you know, I, I look in the fridge and because my, my wife asked me to get a jar of jelly or something and I'm just looking for it. But, you know, I have in my head that, uh, you know, the, the, the white label on the, on the grape jelly, it, you know, maybe she's gotten a new kind of jelly. And so I'm just like looking right at it. Honey, I can't see it. Where's the jelly, right? Missing something right in front of your face. Well, these are funny examples when it comes to mistakes. But when you miss something right in front of your face and it's a spiritual thing, that's serious. That's what was happening with the Pharisees. And friends, that's what can happen to us. Here's the first warning. You're going to hear several warnings that come as we look at these features of the kingdom. And the first warning to you as you're sitting here listening to this sermon is don't miss the kingdom. Don't miss it. Because we can fall into the same problem of the Pharisees where we can wait for something big, something earth shaking. You know, we're just, okay, I'm just going to wait here and, you know, hope that God brings something earth shattering right before my eyes. Then I'll get serious about my faith. Then, then I'll really lean in to the teaching of the church. We're hoping for some new social movement to come along and just sweep us off our feet, give us a new narrative to live out, right? 
Instead, the kingdom starts off in our midst with those small, almost unobservable signs and like, like wrapped in a, a simple package, a small church plant with a vibrant love for Christ. Simple opportunities to witness to your neighbors. You know? Quran Bible study with, with our Muslim friends every, every third week. And it seems simple because we're only meeting with, with a few families. But those are the kind of things in which God's kingdom moves in our present. So friends, stop looking for a kingdom that meets your expectations. And instead embrace God's kingdom right now. We're going to see more of what that means. Because the kingdom is here, it's in your midst, but it's also coming. The kingdom is coming. Now you say, how can that be? The kingdom is already here. And yet we pray, don't we? God, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. You see, we've talked about this before. It's that tension between the already and not yet of the kingdom. Already, friends, the kingdom is in your midst. God, through the first coming of Christ, is ushering in the very power to change the world. But we see, don't we, as we feel the suffering of this life, as we feel the stiffness of the chairs behind us, as we suffer, that the kingdom has not come yet in its fullness, but it will because the king is coming. Here's the second reality that needs to seek in, uh, to sink into our hearts this morning, into your heart this morning. The king is coming and when he comes, this time, no one is going to miss it. No one's going to say, hey, where is the kingdom, Jesus? When's it going to come? Because when he comes, it's going to be awesome. Like lightning that flashes across the sky in a thousand directions. That's what Jesus says in this passage. It, it shoots across the sky and it electrifies the atmosphere. Have you ever been in the dark? Maybe a walk in the woods in the dark and suddenly... The air is thick and lightning just shoots through. You're almost blinded by the power of the light. Jesus says, that is what it's going to be like when I come again. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be universal. You can't miss it. If you're in South Korea, if you're in China, if you're in Budapest, Canada, it doesn't matter. You're going to see it. And it will be unmistakable. Revelation 1.7 says this, that the coming of the Son of Man, Jesus Christ coming in his power, will be like this. Behold, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him and all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. Jesus is coming. It's, it's gonna be shocking. It's sudden. Any moment he could come. Are you ready for Jesus to come back? Have you ever groaned and said, Lord, please come again soon? Maybe some of you don't feel that way, but I think at various points in our life, we as Christians all start to feel that way. The disciples felt that way. Jesus talks about it in our text. Not long after Jesus ascended to the right hand of the Father, the disciples started to suffer in surprising ways. 
Almost all of them died a gruesome death because of their faith. And Jesus says that there is going to come a time where you long to see just one of the days when I would return. Just a glimpse of the days when, when the judge of the earth would come and, and put an end to pain and put an end to suffering and free you from your persecution and judge those that are judging you wrongly. But that day won't come. You'll be waiting for it. And you'll wait and you'll wait and you'll wait and you'll say, when's it coming? Is that you this morning? Maybe you are sitting here and you're saying, look, this has been a week of suffering. Even suffering from the hypocrisy of the church, those who are supposed to love me the most. Even suffering from my family, those who are supposed to be there for me. You say, Lord, just come again and put an end to this. Make everything right. You know, there's a sweetness to that sigh and and the Lord, I want you to hear this this morning. The Lord invites you to make that the cry of your heart. It's okay to want Jesus to come again. But there's also a danger that he wants you to see as you sigh and say, Jesus, come again. And that danger is that you are the most susceptible to being deceived when you are most desperate for your suffering to end and for him to come again. When are you most susceptible to being led astray? It's when you've been hurt. It's when your patience is wearing thin. You hear that guy in a slick suit saying, hey, look over here. I have a kingdom that will give you your best life now. Prosperity and beyond. All you have to do is Jump on the bandwagon. All you have to do is memorize this simple chart. All you have to do is give me your money, maybe. <laughs> or, you know, it's, it's when we're, we're most hurting and, and, and suffering that we're most susceptible to hearing that voice. Hey, listen to me. I know the day and hour when Jesus is going to come again. You know, isn't it crazy that about every 10 years someone actually makes that kind of prediction? Tim LaHaye, Jerry B. Jenkins made the prediction back January 1st, 2000. They said, Y2K is going to come. Everything's going to crash. Computer's going to crash and Jesus is coming. (laughs) Harold Camping, that's a famous name, right? He made a lot of predictions about when Jesus is going to come. The last one was uh, May 21st, 2011. The first one he, he predicted was September 6th, 1994. Yet, neither of those happened. Um, We know that. But here's the thing we can actually believe these kinds of lies. And our hearts can actually buy into not, not even those kinds of direct lies, but also the subtle ones. The, hey, let me give you a kingdom that will give you everything you need right now. It is sweet, it will satisfy even your, your craving for sin. Here it is. We can miss the kingdom right in front of us, friends, but we can also exchange the glorious kingdom for a counterfeit kingdom. And Jesus says, don't be deceived. Don't be fooled. Because when I come again, you won't miss it. 2 Peter 3.10, the day of the Lord will come like a thief and then the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. 
But before that happens, Jesus says, I'm going to suffer and I'm going to die and then I'm going to go to glory. And you, friends, are going to follow me on that same path. You are going to spend a life of suffering waiting for the glory that's going to suddenly overwhelm you when I return. And then every counterfeit lie, every counterfeit kingdom is going to be exposed in the light of my lightning. So don't be deceived. When I come again, be holding on to the true thing the gospel of your salvation. You can see where this is going. The kingdom is here. The kingdom is present. The kingdom is coming. And the kingdom is urgent. This is the last thing I want you to hear this morning. Because you can already hear the kind of urgency in Jesus' words. Don't be deceived. Don't, don't be fooled by the social movements and, and, the, and the tides of culture that try to distract you from my coming. Instead, be prepared. See, we know how the story begins. It begins with a kingdom breaking forth in our lives. And we know how the story ends. Christ comes and consummates his kingdom. He brings it to its fulfillment. But friends, what happens in the middle, right in the middle of that juicy narrative of scripture, the juicy story of your lives where you are waiting for Jesus to come? What happens in between the already and not yet when the king can return at any moment? Here's what happens. Jesus calls you to faithful readiness. In order to do that, we must be prepared. Friends, don't be unprepared when Jesus comes again. He gives us an example of what that looks like. It looks like the days of Noah and Lot. You know, you hear those stories in the Bible. They are not, in fact, ancient fairy tales that just pop up in kids' books. I don't know if Sodom and Gomorrah would pop up in a kid's book. (laughs) Noah would, right? They're not ancient stories, ancient fairy tales. They are real accounts of what happened. And look, this this was so exciting and mind-boggling to me this week. You're reading your Old Testament scripture. You're all the way in in the book of Genesis at the very beginning. And guess what? You're reading about Noah and Lot. You're reading about what's gonna happen in the book of Revelation at the very end. You see how scripture works, comes to life before your very eyes. Because the the picture we see in Noah and Lot is actually a picture of what happens in our own day, what could happen any minute. Because people in that time, friends, were too busy with the rhythm of daily life to give any thought to a coming judgment. They were just living life, business as usual, eating, drinking, you know, another wedding to attend, Another dinner to host, another party to enjoy, and then boom, catastrophe strikes, mass destruction, judgment comes from above. That's what it will be like on the day when the Son of Man comes in all his dazzling glory. It will be a day, friends, like, like any other. A day when we are going to church, heading home, going to a graduation ceremony, graduation celebration, eating dinner with our friends. Indulging in our pet sins. And suddenly... Boom, Son of Man returns. 
unannounced, but you can't miss it. You can't miss it. Like fire falling from on high, like a flood rolling like a tsunami over the earth. Are you ready? You ready? Are you prepared for that? You have another warning in the scriptures. I think that's why Jesus mentions here the second shortest sentence in the Bible. You know what the first, first shortest statement in the Bible is? Jesus wept. The second shortest statement in the Bible, it's right here. Remember Lot's wife. So, okay, what should I remember about her? Well, there's two things that stand out about what you need to remember about Lot's wife. First of all, she wasn't prepared for the judgment because she turned back. She turned back. You, you remember what we just read. Just when Lot and his family is hightailing it out of Sodom and Gomorrah, they're, they're climbing up the hills to salvation. And Lot's wife is moving in the right direction. But, but what happens? Mrs. Lot remembers what was behind her and her head turns to see what was behind and suddenly she becomes calcified in a pillar of salt. I don't know what she was looking around for. Maybe she wanted just one glimpse of that property that she had, you know, fancied as her forever home. Maybe she, she looked back. Maybe it was because of her hatred of, of, what all the people had done to her in that city. And she just, she wanted to see them suffer. I don't know what, what, what was it in her heart or her mind. I don't know, but here's the important thing. And here's the thing that you need to hear. She was attached to the things of this world. She was moving in the right direction with her feet, but her heart was sold on the life that she was called to leave behind. Friends, When the kingdom comes in its climactic power, you won't have time to grab your things. You won't have time to snatch up your violin. You won't have time to reach for your wallet that's downstairs in the kitchen. Because when the fire alarm goes off, there's no time to run and get your things that you love. You just have to get out. When you're on an airplane and the emergency landing sign goes off, there's no time to reach for your luggage and to hold on to it. You're going down. You've got to be ready. So it is with the kingdom. There is an urgency here. Let go of your attachments and look to Jesus right now. Fix your eyes on him and him alone. And you're going to be going through life and you're going to be doing things that are necessary and, and even important. Loving family, tending to people's needs, fixing dinner. Buying property. Well, you know, if, you're, if your first priority isn't being right with God by putting your trust in Jesus Christ and daily attending to abiding in him, by seeking him, seeking to know him, then you might just find yourself disturbingly surprised on the, on the final day. Remember Lot's wife. And let me say one more thing about Lot's wife. Her family connections couldn't save her. You know that? She was more connected to godly people than anyone in the whole Bible. She had Abraham. Abraham's the the key figure of the Old Testament. And she's his relative. Lot, one of the only godly people at that entire time. 
And she's, she's his wife. But friends, those connections meant nothing when the day of judgment came. And so it is with you. Kids, your connection to your godly parents is a wonderful thing. It is a blessing of God. But it cannot save you on the final day. Husbands, your marriage to your godly wife won't do you any good when Jesus Christ comes in his glory unless that example has been one that you yourself have followed by believing in Jesus. And wives, your husband's faith in Christ, his diligence in seeking the Lord won't be transferred to you on that final day. What does this mean? We all have to prepare because Jesus says the judgment will be a day that will divide. Husband and wife will be in the same bed. One will be taken, the other left. Two co-workers will be working. One will be taken, the other will be left. This isn't a secret rapture, by the way, because it's the most public thing imaginable. This is the judgment day. Where does it happen? Where does the judgment happen? Well, wherever there is spiritual death, wherever there is one who does not know Jesus. That's what the, Jesus is saying, says to the disciples, say where, where the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. That helps us out a lot, doesn't it? It's a tricky <laughs> phrase. What I think it means is this, wherever there is spiritual death, there's where the judgment is going to be. So get right with Jesus now. Seek faithful readiness now. Be like Noah, tending to his ark, building it. People will laugh at you. They'll say, look at all the time you put into salvation. Why do I need salvation? Because the kingdom is here and the kingdom is coming. And right now, friends, is the opportunity to lay a hold of Christ by faith. He is a good savior. He longs to gather you under his wings like a mother hen gathers its chicks. He longs to do that so that on that final day, you will not be like the dead body which the vulture circles. But he says, you have to come to me. You have to believe in me. You have to hold me closer than you hold the world. First John 2, 28 says this. Now, little children, abide in him. Abide in Christ so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink back in shame at his coming. May that be true of all of you. He is a good savior. He is the king of the kingdom. He invites you to come to him even now to lay a hold of him by faith. Let's go to him in prayer. Heavenly Father, you have made us part of a kingdom that is unshakable, kingdom that is coming. And Lord, if we are part of that kingdom, we have all assurance that on that final day, we will be gathered to you under your wings. But Lord, we shudder to think that some will be like the dead that are circled by the vultures. We pray that we would not be amongst them and that you would give us confidence that we will not be amongst them because we abide in Christ. Help us to do that now by putting our hearts in his hand, believing in him, loving him, laying hold of him. We pray this all in Christ's name. Amen.